All right, listeners, how's it going? We are here with another episode of the Harvard Homies NBA Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Hoy, and I'm joined in studio today by my good friend, Cesar Smokowski. How you been, Cesar? Hey, what's going on? I'm good. What's going on, everybody? Gang, gang, thanks for tuning in to the most dangerous sports podcast on the web, Hardwood Homies. Man, ooh, we got a hot one today. Boy, the second round draft mock spots. Yeah, that's what we're here for. We're here for the part three of our mock draft series. We're doing picks 31 through 45 today. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the first two parts of our mock draft series that are up on iTunes now. We did uh, picks 1 through 15 in the first part and picks 16 through 30 in the second part. And uh, in case you haven't listened to those and you're just going to keep listening to this one, um, our methodology for doing this is a mix of what we think what will happen and what we think should happen. So we're doing a mix of the player evaluations on my big board and my uh, 2017 NBA draft notebook, which you can find at rebrand.ly slash jhoydraft uh, if you want to see my big board. And then we're also doing... Uh, combined with the big board, we're doing you know what we think the teams will do. You know what we've heard out of various news sources, like for example that the Lakers are leaning Lonzo Ball too, or that you know Tony Bradley and the Lakers met for a while, that sort of thing. So it's it's a mix of that. So sometimes you'll see some guys get moved around a little differently just because our evaluations are a little bit different. But we're trying not to let our evaluations too radically affect this. And uh, before we get started, be sure to leave a review on iTunes. Uh, we've been popping up in the top 200. For sports and pro sports consistently so we're really thankful for everyone listening and as we continue to get reviews we continue to get more listeners so please go leave those reviews uh, they're much appreciated and yeah before we dive in I want to recap the first 30 picks from the first two parts just to get listeners an idea of you know who's off the board at this point so number one we had the Celtics taking Markel Fultz number two we had the Lakers taking Lonzo Ball number three we had the 76ers taking De'Aaron Fox Number four, we had the Suns taking Josh Jackson. Number five, we had the Kings taking Dennis Smith Jr. Number six, we had the Magic taking Jason Tatum. Number seven, we had the Timberwolves taking Jonathan Isaac. Number eight, we had the Knicks taking Malik Monk. Number nine, we had the Mavericks taking Zach Collins. Number 10, we had the Kings taking OG Ananobi. Number 11, we had the Hornets taking Larry Markkinen. Number 12, we had the Pistons taking Frank Nielakina. Number 13, we had the Nuggets taking Jonah Bolden, our boy. Uh, number 14, we had the Heat taking Justin Jackson, of course, from North Carolina. The Maryland Justin Jackson dropped out of this draft. Number 15, we had the Portland Trailblazers taking Harry Giles. Number 16, we had the Bulls taking Jared Allen. Number 17, we had the Bucks taking Donovan Mitchell. Number 18, we had the Pacers taking Luke Kennard. Number 19, we had the Hawks taking John Collins. Number 20, we had the Trailblazers selecting Semi Ojale. Number 21, we had the Thunder taking Jawan Evans. Number 22, we had the Nets taking Jonathan Jean. Number 23, we had the Raptors taking Derek White. Number 24, we had the Jazz taking Isaiah Hartenstein. Number 25, we had the Magic taking Justin Patton. Number 26, we had the Trailblazers taking Frank Jackson. Number 27, we had the Nets taking Kyle Kuzma. Number 28, we had the Lakers taking Tony Bradley. Number 29, we had the Spurs taking Cameron Oliver. And number 30, we had the Jazz taking Terrence Ferguson. And of course, if you want to hear in-depth breakdown of each of those picks, Go listen to parts one and two of our mock draft series if you have not, because those will give you the breakdown on those picks. And before we get started, I just want to warn everyone that like it might look like some of these big men are slipping. You know, if a guy on my is say you know thirty five or so on my big board, he might fall to like the late forties, early fifties. 
because of the fact that, you know, there's a lot of big men in this draft. And uh, as the league goes smaller, there's less of a need for big men. And so some of these teams are going to reach up and grab point guards and wings ahead of, you know, their actual value because there's not very many point guards and wings and there's a lot of big men. So you're going to see some of these big men fall. That's just the nature of this draft because we wanted to be realistic with team needs and a team with, you know, three picks isn't going to spend all three of their picks on a big man unless they have no big men on the roster, which really isn't the case for anyone. So that's that's something I wanted to point out before we get started. But let's get right into this. With the 31st overall pick, we have the Atlanta Hawks picking, and they're going with E.K. Anikbogu from UCLA, the young center from the Bruins. And uh, this was a pick that I thought fit really well with their first first-round pick, uh, John Collins, who we had going number 19 to them. Just because, you know, Bogu is a nice compliment to Collins in terms of the fact that Collins was this big production guy, but without the elite size. Whereas Bogu is that phenomenal size, you know, at 6'10", with a, I think, 7'5 wingspan, and a chiseled 252-pound frame, 7'6 wingspan, excuse me, chiseled 252-pound frame. So he's got those great measurables, but, you know, he only played 13 minutes a game last year, didn't quite have that production. What do you think of this pick, Cesar? He makes sense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense for the Hawks with uh, John Collins, obviously in our scenario, taking him in the first round, where they have a guy with great length and size that can complement their other uh, front court players. You know, Dwight Howard obviously is aging and has production has slipped quite a bit. Uh, also, with the uncertainties about where Paul Millsap will be and uh, how they can incorporate him next year, so. Anibogu seems like a good fit with such a great physical profile and how well he would complement uh, other guys like John Collins, who obviously did so great in college, but Anibogu has all this untapped potential that we can see and uh, hopefully the Hawks can develop in the coming years. Yeah, uh, Mike Budenholzer comes from that Spurs family, obviously. And uh, well, he wasn't there for it. You saw the Spurs develop a raw type big man, Dwayne Dedman, this season into a really useful player. And maybe Budenholzer has some of that Spurs magic where he can turn Onik Bogu into a similar force around the rim. Uh, next up, we have the Phoenix Suns picking at number 32 overall. And we have them stealing up a player that a lot of people have rising up their draft boards. Uh, we've got them taking Jordan Bell with this pick. Uh, Jordan Bell's a guy who... I mean, he's been getting some serious buzz over the past couple weeks. I've seen people mention him, uh, not joking, as maybe a top two or three big in this draft, just given the way that he projects to the NBA as a player who can help teams, given his elite athleticism and switchability. Uh, obviously, he's a bit lacking in size, you know, six foot nine with a seven foot wingspan, I think, which, you know, for a guy who's got a center skill set on offense, that's not great. But Bell's a guy who can be a defensive force and is a phenomenal rebounder, and Phoenix doesn't really have a guy like that in their front court. so adding him in with pieces like Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender as they continue to build their young front court, uh, we thought that was a good selection. Yeah, Jordan Bell has certainly did incredibly well in college at Oregon, and as you're talking about, he doesn't have huge stature only at 6'9", but he obviously, uh, from what I've seen, he plays bigger than he is, you know, the physical way that he plays shows you know that he can use all every inch of his body to uh, his advantage and certainly plays a really gritty physical brand of basketball that would really fit with a young Suns core that needs that defensive presence so uh, Jordan Bell makes a lot of sense there with 
uh, being able to spit, uh, excuse me, fit that four or five spot if you're going small ball. Uh, and he, as we've been talking about at Oregon, showed that he can be a huge impactor on defense and can really work well in the lane and and work down in the paint well on offense. So he would be an excellent second round pick for a young and upcoming team. Yeah, uh, with Allen Williams hitting unrestricted free agency as well, uh, the Suns could potentially just decide to take Bell with this pick and avoid, you know, likely overpaying Williams. Uh, with his second half production, it's easy to see some team uh, deciding to throw maybe uh, $10 million at Williams. I don't know if he's going to get that much, but he could, and that'd be unreasonable money for the Suns to tie up when Bell could likely replace most of Williams' production, although he's more of a defensive-oriented player than Allen Williams was last season. At number 33, we've got the Orlando Magic picking with their third pick in this draft. Of course, with their first pick, they chose Jason Tatum, and their second pick, they chose Justin Patton. And so that's a three-man and five-man. And we were kind of debating where they would go with this pick because they also have the number 35 pick. And we settled on DJ Wilson from Michigan, the uh, stretch four prospect who a lot of people think is a very good player. I'm, I'm one of those people in the DJ Wilson fan club. He's number 30 on my big board. I think that, you know, he's got some issues uh, playing on the interior. He's not a physical player at all. He's an awful rebounder, and he really kind of plays like a small forward, even though he has that power forward size at 6'10 and a half with 7'3 wingspan. But in terms of his shooting ability, his athleticism, his uh, physical tools, and shot blocking ability, you know, that 5.6 block percentage for his career, I think he's a guy that, you know, a coach like Frank Vogel, who's a defensive-minded coach, could try to coach that toughness into DJ Wilson. And, you know, they'll have two guys in Justin Patton and DJ Wilson who both need getting coached up in terms of toughness. And Frank Vogel, I think, is a coach who would be willing to undertake that. Yeah, DJ Wilson, of course, as we've talked about, had that injury at the Combine. So we didn't get to see too many of his actual physical tests. But as we've been pointing out recently, he does have a great... Uh, physical stature at 6'10 and a very impressive 7'3 wingspan but uh, when you think about it he has so much talent in being a uh, big power forward who can shoot the ball really well and is very mobile even though he may not have as much strength or isn't as built up as other guys other big men in this class he certainly has shown that he can be an elite shooter for that position. So he makes sense. And if, as you talked about, Jackson, uh, you put him in a system where you can really develop him on the defensive side with Frank Vogel, that makes sense. And hopefully they can uh, harness both of his talents on both ends of his, on the uh, court. Yeah, exactly. Wilson uh, is a solid player to take in the second round because, you know, he's got that untapped potential and he's probably got like first round talent. It's just a matter of, being able to coach it out of him and being able to turn him into that player. And with a team like the Magic that has, you know, four picks in the top 35, they can definitely find a guy with those tools who they're trying to coach the talent out of. Next up, we've got the Sacramento Kings picking number 34. And uh, with this pick, uh, of course, this is the Kings' third pick as well after taking Dennis Smith Jr. at number five and OG Ananobi at number 10. And... So those two, uh, Dennis Smith was basically a point guard exclusive because, of course, we wanted to focus on getting the Kings a point guard. But Ananobi is a very versatile player who can play all over the court. And we went versatile again with this pick for the Kings. And we decided to add the wing from Kansas State, Wesley Awundu, 
a guy who Scissor and I both really like and think that could be a phenomenal fit in Sacramento. Yeah, he of course, uh, Sacramento has Buddy Heald at that two spot, and they like to uh, have a lot of flexibility with their roster. But Awundu gives them great size at 6'7", for a shooting guard, and he flew under the radar for a lot of the year at uh, Kansas State. So uh, he certainly jumped out for us, and he showed that he can be a really intelligent and uh, physically uh imposing shooting guard for the next level and uh as we showed that he would be a good fit with the kings since they have so much flexibility in their backcourt with uh guys that can you know play multiple positions if dennis smith can fit in that one spot and then what you can shift around with buddy healed and uh a woundu so that'll be an interesting lineup for the next year if they get someone as talented as a woundu in the second round yeah a woundu is a guy who really with that six foot seven height and seven one wingspan, uh, could slide between the two and the three, and maybe even the power forward spot as he continues to add strength. And you know, adding two very versatile wings like him and Ananobi gives the Kings a lot of options, and will really help them boost their defense because you know their other young wings and uh, Buddy Heald, Ben McLemore, and uh, excuse me, uh, Malachi Richardson. Uh, none of those guys are really known for their contributions on the defensive end, but bringing in Ananobi and Wundu. Gives them two difference makers on defense on that end. And Wundu is also going to be useful because, you know, he adds another playmaker into that Kings backcourt. I don't think people really realize that Wundu was a really good passer last season. A 23 assist percentage, which that's that's a that's a very good number. It's only a 17 turnover percentage. So he has some PR, p- pick and roll ability. And I even think that, like, he could run some, some secondary point for the Kings in an emergency situation. Maybe be their backup point guard almost, if they wanted to get really creative with him. So I think is a really useful player and incredibly versatile. And on a Kings team that, you know, just needs to add talent and needs to add some versatility, Awundu would be an awesome fit. That combination of defensive ability, passing ability, and spot-up threat on offense, I think is going to make Awundu a really useful player for the Kings. Yeah, he certainly has a lot of uh, defensive versatility going into uh, Sacramento if they do draft him, and he gives them a good spot-up shooter that can uh, also be a facilitator, so he'd be a good fit with them. Yeah, not to mention, he'd get to go from one purple team to another, so he wouldn't have to buy any new shoes. He could just keep the ones he wore at K-State. At the pick 35, we've got the Magic picking again. This is their fourth pick, and they just took DJ Wilson. But a position they have not addressed in this draft yet is the guard spot. And, you know, a team that kind of doesn't really have a whole lot of point guard, you know, obviously starting Alfred Payton last year, uh, bringing out C.J. Watson off the bench, who might be gone this offseason, you know, just a team that really is kind of just barren at point guard. We're going to have them take a point guard here. And while it might be a bit of a reach in such a point guard thin class, especially once you get to this point of the draft, they kind of have to reach to get him. And... We're having them take Kansas is Frank Mason. Mason, obviously the Naismith Player of the Year this season. You know, phenomenal year at Kansas, putting up some awesome stats, leading that team to the Elite Eight. Uh, Mason, Mason, uh, maybe this is a bit of a reach. I've got him at 47 on my board, but he's a guy who can come in and be a capable backup in Orlando from day one. And maybe doesn't have a ton of upside just because, you know, his offense is kind of limited to three-point shooting and, you know, not a, a phenomenal distributor, only really a decent distributor. And, Maybe he isn't going to offer a ton on defense, but he plays with heart, he's a smart player, and he can really shoot the ball. 
Yeah, Frank Mason certainly helped his stock at the NBA Combine. He looked excellent in the 5-on-5 uh, matches. He was able to score uh, at will, as we've been talking about, since he's such a great shooter. And he certainly uses his uh, strength and uh, speed to his advantage, even though he's a little guy standing just below or just at six feet. So if the Magic really want to get a guy that can be a smart, uh, intelligent guy at that one spot, Frank Mason fills that void and could be a decent backup guy and hopefully transition maybe to that starting spot if things don't pan out with Alfred Payton. Yeah, Mason it just provides a nice change of pace from Alfred Payton. You know, Payton's more that pass-first type of point guard, defensive-minded, but really struggles with his shot. Whereas, you know, Mason's uh, kind of a score-first point guard with a really great three-point shot, can get to the rim and transition, you know, looks for others. He's not, it's not like he doesn't pass to others. He averaged five assists a game last year. It's just, you know, he's not quite on the level of creation that some of these other point guards are. And the thing with Mason is, you know, a, a lot of short, older point guards get this said about them, but he really kind of is at his ceiling. It's kind of hard for him to imagine him getting a lot better unless you know, he becomes this elite finisher through adding craftiness just because he did struggle to finish a lot last season just around lengthier, more explosive defenders. And he's got a pretty nice floater game, but I still think he's going to struggle inside the arc at the NBA level. You know, last year he shot only 50% on two-point shots. So he's going to be a guy who, you know, maybe struggles to score inside the arc, but his spot-up ability, off-the-dribble ability, transition ability, and just his nature as a leader on the court, uh, I think it'll earn him a spot in the NBA for a very long time. Yeah, Mason certainly shows that he's a good player in college, and the uh, combine showed that he can be uh, a, a really good top-tier player amongst this uh, playing against other elite talent. So I think that, as we've been talking about, he ha has shown everything that he's going to do in his career, and, you know, that isn't a bad thing. He was certainly a good player and was a great asset for Kansas. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see since Magic so desperately need a floor general and if they do get a guy who can be a good leader and sort of facilitate growth in that uh, Orlando locker room, I think that Frank Mason would be a good fit for them. Yeah, we're both from Lawrence and so we'll see these KU players sometimes and I've had a couple interactions with Frank Mason and both the times I've seen him, he's a real great guy. So uh, he, he's definitely one of those guys who could be a leader in the locker room and Frank Mason, a uh, good pick for the Magic at number 35. And next up, we've got the uh, Philadelphia 76ers picking at the number 36 spot. And we are having them take the Hardwood Homies favorite, uh, our boy, the one that we discovered, Sterling Brown from SMU, the uh, shooting guard small forward prospect. Uh, Sterling Brown, obviously, uh, if you've been listening to our podcast, you know all about Sterling Brown. He's got the elite three-point shooting ability. You know, 45% for his college career on 284 three-point attempts. You know, can get it off in basically any circumstance, off the dribble, off the catch, coming off screens. And then just a great defender, you know, plays very hard on that end. Has a nice frame, six foot five with a six nine and a half wingspan, 225-pound frame. He's he's just very good at uh, being on defense, excuse me. You know, 10th in the nation in defensive win shares. So... He, he, he's a very good, he's got very good 3 and D tools, and that's exactly the type of player that, you know, Philadelphia would be looking for in this second round. You know, they've got four second round picks, and with those picks, I think they're just going to try to reach for, try to find a 3 and D guy, you know. They already have Timothy Luwabu, who's been a bit inconsistent, 
But you can uh, basically what the NBA is today, you can never have enough 3 and D guys, especially on a team with where they get De'Aaron Fox in the first round. They're going to need more shooters. And so especially with Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and De'Aaron Fox on that team together. And Brown is a guy who can shoot and can lock up opposing uh, guards. So he, I think he could honestly be a starter down the road for them as, you know, that 3 and D role player and that sort of Danny Green role. And I, I just love this pick for the 76ers. Brown is a guy who can grow and become part of that championship core for them. And, you know, he's one of our favorite guys in this draft. We've made it no secret. And I think Brown would be an awesome fit with the 76ers. Yeah, for Philly, he'd be a great asset. Sterling Brown is one of the best two-way players uh, that we've thought about in the second round and even in the first round. He obviously was part of a historically good uh, SMU offense this year and last year, both of them. Uh, both years, he was excellent. So uh, as a senior, he shows that he put in the time and really developed how uh, all of his defensive talent and alongside the defensive versatility that he would give to Philly, he's a really good uh, shooter and has excellent size and speed for that two spot. So uh, that makes a lot of sense for Philly since they've so desperately needed shooting and he gives them a lot of defensive versatility too to go along with their other big guys. Yeah, and uh, another thing about Sterling is, you know, he does struggle inside the arc, you know, only 46% on two-point shots that last season. And only shot 54% around the rim. Those are pretty bad numbers. But the good news for him is, you know, he's not going to be asked to do hardly any of that at, uh, excuse me, on the 76ers. He's a guy who can, you know, just basically just be a spot-up threat and defender, you know, play the true 3 and D role. And that's that's why I think he's going to be, you know, he could be that Danny Green for that championship core. And I, I think that if he goes to a team like the 76ers where they're trying to build a true contender with some stars and he can be a role player there, he's going to fit so well. Yeah, he would be uh, a perfect Danny Green Jr. Of course, nobody is Danny Green Jr., the GOAT, but, you know, that's beside the point. Yeah, uh, at number 37, we've got the Boston Celtics picking. This is their, I think, only their second pick in this draft. This is like the first time in a while the Celtics haven't had multiple first-round picks. But with this pick, um, we had them going with a stash big man uh, just because, you know, they don't really have room on their roster, but... Big man is a need, and of course they will bring over Ante Zizic this offseason, who is a stud, but that's beside the point. And we've got them taking Andrzej Paseknicz from Gran Canaria in the, uh, I believe he they play in the ACB. Uh, Paseknicz is, you know, pretty raw center, doesn't have a whole ton of skill set in his game. He's got some flashes, but what Paseknicz does have is phenomenal size and phenomenal mobility. You know, he's at uh, seven foot one or seven foot two. 229 pounds, you know, it needs to add strength to that frame, but he's one of the most mobile centers in this draft, especially for a guy as big as he is, you know, he can run the floor in transition, he can switch onto guards, he can move around all over the court, and he's just going to be a big defensive weapon thanks to his height, length, and mobility, you know, he'll be able to switch around a lot, and, you know, with a guy like uh, Ante Zizic that they're bringing over who's, you know, maybe more of a ground-bound player, doesn't quite have that switchability, if they bring Pasegnik's over maybe in a couple of years, he's the guy who can be a nice complement to Zizic's, you know, power game as sort of a finesse center who can move around and, you know, as he continues to develop that skill set, he's flashed some three-point shooting ability. And as a role man, he's got some upside. But in terms of, like, a mobile, you know, pick-and-roll guy, he's the guy who could really help the Celtics out as a bench center down the road. 
Yeah, he really oppo- uh, shows a good contrast to Zizek, as we've been talking about. He'll, of course, be one of their uh, big men in the future since he was been such a stud internationally this year. But uh, Pasisic is uh, uh, sorry, uh, is a really good mobile big man. Of course, we haven't seen too much of him since we're basing most of his evaluation on his talent and upside, but he has shown that he can really move well out on the open floor and uh, switch to different guys. So uh, with being able to get a guy that can uh, shoot the ball well, hopefully down the road, and has good size at 7-2, hopefully he can be a guy that they can keep in the international circuit but uh, bring back in a few years and hopefully he can uh, find a role on that Celtics team. Yeah, Pasegnik's, uh as a bench center for a team like the Celtics would be a perfect fit just because, you know, in the playoffs where there's these different matchups with different players, you need to have those different types of big men you can throw out because, you know, the way that the game is changing, the center position is so different in the center position. You kind of have to have different types of centers on your roster almost. And Pasechnik's is a rare type of center. So for a team like the Celtics looking to build a championship contender that doesn't really have a center like that, Pasechnik's would be a great fit. Next, we have the 38th pick where the Chicago Bulls are selecting. And we've got them selecting a guy that, you know, a lot of people might be wondering, you know, where is this guy? You know, he's fallen, but uh, us, us at Harvard homies, we're a little lower on him than most people are. But of course, we have to reflect reality. So we've got to have this guy getting drafted here. And that's why we've got TJ Leaf going number 38 to the Chicago Bulls. Leaf, you know, he's, we've talked about how he's a bit overblown as a stretch four, and he's really just kind of a scoring four who benefited a lot from Lonzo Ball. But he's still a good scorer, you know, great finisher around the rim, got some great mid-range ability, can shoot off the dribble pretty well, and has flash and three-point ability, albeit on a small sample size. But with Nico Miritich hitting free agency this offseason, if the Bulls don't want to pay him, Leaf is a probably a obviously a less skilled version of Miritich that they can bring in and see, you know, maybe he can replace Miritich's minutes and in a couple years be on that level. But Leaf, Leaf's, Leaf's a decent player. You know, I, I just, I don't love him because I think he's going to be a huge problem on defense given his poor size for playing center and his just complete lack of mobility guarding power forwards. But in terms of, you know, being a nice offensive player and a decent rebounder, I think he'd be a good selection for the Bulls here. Yeah, TJ Leaf, of course, involved in that, uh, the country's best uh, offense at UCI last year and people have been raving about you know oh he's this uh, guy that can fit at that four spot that can really shoot the ball well from beyond the arc so uh, he's been getting a lot of buzz but uh, of course you have to think about the liability that would be on the defensive end since he hasn't developed that end of the ball at all so uh, while he may have some tools on offense there's certainly holes in his game but he does have a lot of upsides with you know all his shooting strengths and how he can move well uh, in a fast-paced offense so uh, if the Bulls want to get a guy that can add some juice to their offense alongside uh, Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade and other guys that they'll be moving around next year he'll be an interesting pick and in seeing how he can fit in a offense and what role they they can uh, be able to put him in on defense yeah definitely I think uh he's a lot like current Bulls power forward Bobby Portis actually but I think that it, they still wouldn't be worried about taking him and trying to develop those two guys alongside each other next we've got the uh, Philadelphia 76ers picking once again here with the 39th pick and because they have so many picks we'd figured we'd look international 
for uh, at least one of these to have a guy they could stash. And that's why we chose Rodion's Kurux, the small forward from Barcelona 2, uh, with this pick. You know, Kurux is a guy who is kind of pretty raw, doesn't really have like a whole lot of just like absolute production at this point, but he's he's got some pretty good athleticism. You know, he's not an extreme he doesn't he's not like the most fluid looking athlete, but he's explosive enough and, you know, fast enough that he's he's got some upside and it really his game is just a lot of flashes. You know, his his game isn't really refined at this point, but he has some good flashes. You know, he's an extremely confident three point shooter, although he only hit thirty two percent last season. And He's got a nice slashing game because he actually is a pretty good ball handler, but his ball handling can get inconsistent at times. But you know, he 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 doesn't he doesn't he's just got a lot of intangibility with his game. He's very very much flashes. But the good news is he's only 19, so Philadelphia could very easily stash him and see what they have in him in a couple years. And you know, he, he's a guy who can he's really almost a three level scorer. He's he's got very good finishing around the rim, and he's a pretty decent three point shooter although his percentages aren't great. But I think that he's a guy who could really develop with some seasoning, but he's a risky player because he's mostly flashes at this point. Yeah, Philadelphia will have a lot to figure out with their roster next year and how they're going to handle so many big guys that they have and uh, you know if they'll have roster spots available since they have so many picks. So uh, Keurig uh, gives them an opportunity to stash a player where he's been playing well overseas, so hopefully they can develop him over there. And as we've been pointing out, he has a good three-point shot. He's very confident in taking those. He just has to know that uh, you know, he has to develop his motion and be able to hit more of them on a higher percentage. So if they do store him, he has good size and uh, has flashes of uh, really good ability and high upside. So if you're able to uh, not take up a roster spot with a second round pick since they have so many, then you can continue to develop a guy, but also not take up one of those valuable roster spots. So he makes a lot of sense for them. Yeah, Kurux is the type of guy who... Five years down the road, he's never played in the NBA, and everyone's forgotten about him. But he's also the type of guy who you know could end up being a guy five years down the road where people say, like, wow, that was a really nice second-round pick. Uh, I've heard him compared to Chandler Parsons, and I actually really like that. I think Kurux is a fairly similar player to Chandler Parsons with that you know ball-handling ability and unique sh- shooting ability and that just ability to score. I think Kurux could be a Chandler Parsons, but he could also be a guy who never even makes it to the NBA. So Kurux is a guy to watch, and I think he makes sense for Philadelphia at this spot. Next up, we've got my New Orleans Pelicans picking at number 40. And this was a pick, and you know, it was kind of hard to figure out what the Pelicans were going to do, given who's still on the board. Uh, but we ended up going with Dylan Brooks from Oregon, just because, you know, the Pelicans need a guy who's, you know, a legit three and can actually hit a three-point shot. And Brooks is good at hitting a three-point shot, and he's he's got, he, he's got the profile to play the three. Although he's not an overly quick player on the defensive end, he he can he can survive on that end, and his shooting ability is really what the Pelicans are looking for here. Yeah, Dylan Brooks gives them a lot more mobility on offense, being able to spread the floor and have shooters on the outside uh, with your two bigs with Demarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. So uh, he gives them versatility where they can uh, sp- stretch the floor well, and uh, of course he re- played really well at Oregon in their. Uh, 
in his in his season there and their tournament appearance. So th he'll be a valuable piece in an offense that's rebuilding next year and will obviously need outside scoring. And he'll be a really good spot at that uh, at that three spot if he does uh, develop as uh, I expect him to. Yeah, the the another thing with Brooks is you know with the Pelicans' uncertain status around Drew Holiday and them potentially having a lack of playmaking in their offense. Uh, Brooks actually has some pretty good upside as a playmaker. You know, one thing that I thought was really interesting, I saw pointed out in an article by Kaiser Lindemann the other day where he was talking about how, you know, a combination of low turnover percentage and high usage is good upside for a guy as a playmaker. And Brooks definitely fits that mold as a guy with 31% usage last season in Oregon, but only a 13% turnover percentage. So, uh, he did put up some decent playmaking stats last year. Let me grab his assist percentage real quick. But Brooks is a guy who, you know, if he develops as a playmaker, becomes a really versatile weapon. And he's flashed some of that very nice passing ability. You know, he'll make some cross-court passes that will turn your head and you'll say, wow, that was, a, that was a really good vision for him. Yeah, 23% assist percentage last year from Brooks. So he's a guy who's who's a good passer. And in a New Orleans offense last year that could be pining for some playmaking, Brooks could definitely offer an injection of that. And that's... I think Brooks is a guy who's kind of getting overlooked just because, you know, people like to point out, oh, he's got poor size, 6'6", six six with a 6'6", six six wingspan. He's not the best athlete, but he's a really smart player, and he, he he's pretty refined with his game, and I think that he could help a team like the Pelicans here in the second round. Yeah, he makes a lot of sense if the Pelicans end up losing Drew Holiday, which they may or may not uh, ha uh, end up happening. So Dylan Brooks gives them a facilitator that can really w run the floor well and doesn't uh, and understands his spot as a guy that can shoot the ball really well from the outside as well as create other people's shots. So he'd be a really good a role for them as they're looking to develop their new two new stars and uh, looking to grow in the coming years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, we've got the Charlotte Hornets picking at number 41. And we figured we'd stay in the Carolinas for this pick and take uh, one of the prospects that we've talked about. Just, you know, we, we've been all over the place in our evaluations of him, but we've got them taking Sundarius Thornwell, the shooting guard from South Carolina. You know, I think the Hornets, uh, one thing that they could definitely add is a 3-and-D type prospect. And Thornwell's offense is difficult to peg in the NBA. It's hard to see what translates because, you know, his jumper form is questionable and his three-point shot is a little bit streaky. But I do think that he shot well enough on three-pointers last year to make me confident in his game, not to mention that he shot 83% from the free throw line last year. And another thing Thornwell's really great at is drawing fouls, you know, 9.9 .9 free throw attempts per 40 minutes last season was pretty phenomenal. And then, of course, just his his great defensive ability as a very strong player who, you know, is locked in on that end of the court and would go from a coach in Frank Martin who demands a lot of, on defense to a coach in Steve Clifford who does the same thing. So I think he could continue being a useful defensive player on the Hornets. And he's the type of guy who, you know, could come in right away and help a team like the Hornets a lot because they're a team who will be looking – uh, all over the place for contributors, and they would not be afraid to throw legit minutes at a rookie like Thornwell. Yeah, Thornwell was a big player, a uh, part of that uh, South Carolina's team's run to the. He was the biggest part of it. Yeah, excuse I'd me. Say, yeah. yeah, the biggest. Yeah, the yeah. only reason they made it to the Final Four, and he was obviously a huge impactor on defense, and that's one huge part of what would the Hornets need in this draft. So, and. Uh, as you're talking about, he makes a lot of sense giving Kemba Walker another 
uh, outside threat and a guy that he can feed to on the outside, uh, shooting nearly 40, uh, 39% uh, in college from three-point range. And he has a really good uh, shot, even though it may not be the best form. He certainly is confident in shooting the ball and has some offensive talent. And when we're talking about the Charlotte Hornets, of course, they've obviously been lacking on the defensive end since they've uh, have so many questions with their roster and how that's been changing. So Thornwell is a huge uh, talent on the offensive and defensive side. So hopefully he can turn into one of those 3 and D guys that so many teams have been looking for. Yeah, it sounds like you're a little higher on Sundarius than I am. But I, I, I mean, the problem with him is I just don't know how he translates just because he's not a very good athlete. And it's uh, he's just... He's hard to peg. We've been talking about this. He's just hard to peg because he's got that incredible college production, but you have to figure out what translates from his game and what doesn't. So Thormel is going to be an interesting guy to watch, but I think a team like the Hornets uh, would be a good fit for him where you have a coach like Steve Clifford who's going to try to coach that guy up and get the most out of him. Yeah, man, I got to be high on him. He's a Carolina kid, bro. That's what's up. But uh, Thornwell, of course, I think that his defensive prowess is one of his biggest assets. You have so many guys at that shooting guard spot who are either undersized or don't have the intelligence uh, on the defensive end to really be a big impactor. But Thornwell is the exact opposite. He led the best defensive team in the league in the excuse me in the NCAA last year. So that makes a lot of sense in terms of being able to translate defense. And while he may not all you know be a superstar on offense he does have good gifts that i think that uh the guys over in charlotte could really utilize with uh you know Ke- along with kemba walk and other guys in that offense yeah definitely uh next up we've got the utah jazz picking at number 42 with the third pick of the draft for them after going with isaiah hartenstein at number 24 and terrence ferguson at number 30 and with this pick uh you know the jazz do have a lot of point guards of course uh, you look at Shelvin Mack, uh, Hell Neto, Dante Exum, and George Hill's a free agent this offseason, but it's remaining to be seen what they'll do with him. But I, I do think they should look to grab another backup point guard just to throw into that mix and see if one of those guys can end up being a really good player because, you know, none of their backups have really looked very good so far. And that's why I had them taking a guy who, you know, people have pegged as the quintessential backup point guard from this draft, Monte Morris from Iowa State. You know, Morris is a guy who takes care of the ball really well. That's his That's his calling card is, you know, that obviously record assisted turnover percentage that he posted over the course of his career at Iowa State. But outside of that, you know, he's a decent shooter. You know, he's, his, his shot's got a little hitch, and he's not put up great percentages. But he, he's just the type of guy who gets it done and will be a serviceable backup, serviceable backup in the NBA for a long time. Yeah, Monte Morris, uh, really, I guess he's, you know, his skill set is so, you know, unflashy un- in terms of being able to take care of the ball and facilitating an offense. So, uh, obviously, it makes sense with the Jazz with a guy behind George Hill and the uncertainty that they have at point guard. So, if you talk if you need a guy who can protect the ball well and run an offense and of course you know be that floor general since he's such an intelligent guy that makes a lot of sense for them and uh how that'll translate to you know the jazz in utah yeah definitely and with utah going really young with their first two picks taking a 19 year old isaiah hartenstein and i think terrence ferguson is still 18 i'm not positive but yeah two really young guys with their first two picks 
Uh, Morris is a little older. He'll be 20, 22 by the start of next season. But, yeah, Ferguson is 19. Okay. But, yeah, uh, Morris is a little older, but give, they can afford to do that given they went young with their first two picks. So I think Morris is the type of guy who can come out of the second round and give you some minutes as a backup point guard right away. And I think Utah is the type of team that could utilize a veteran player coming off the bench for them. Yeah, it makes sense being able to run that offense. And, uh, you know, you're always uncertain with Utah and who's going to be there, you know, whether Gordon Hayward leaves and whether that's going to shake things up. But Morris, of course, is a good guy that'll fit that uh, secondary role and being able to run an offense efficiently. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Next up, we've got the Rockets picking number 43. This is their uh, first of two second-round picks. And... uh, Given the fact that you know they have multiple picks, we were uh, we were looking at you know what are they going to do with both of these, and we decided we'd have one pick go forward and one pick go guard, just because you know with Harrell and Capella they're kind of set at the big man spot, and you know maybe they bring Nene back next year. But right here we went with the forward for them, and we grabbed a guy that you know I think could be a useful player, especially in a place like Houston, and that's a uh, Syracuse's Tyler Lydon. You know Lydon, uh, just like every stretch four, of course has gotten the Ryan Anderson comparison at some point. He's not as good as Ryan Anderson, of course, because he's he's not quite on that level of being a good shooter. But I think Tyler Lydon's the type of guy who would fit pretty well in Houston. You know, they're a team that definitely needed another forward at the end of last season. In the playoffs, they were definitely hurting at that spot. You know, they needed another guy. And Lydon is a guy who maybe they he, – he can be a D'Antoni guy who they develop because D'Antoni is, loves shooters. And Lydon's a good shooter, you know. 39.8% from three on 246 attempts over his two seasons at Syracuse and an 81% free throw percentage. So his stroke should translate to the NBA line. And then as a sophomore, he shot 43.2% on catch and shoot jumpers. And, you know, he's flashed from shot blocking ability. I think he had a, um, some like a six or seven block percentage while he was at uh, Syracuse, which is pretty good. But it's hard to project him on defense just because, you know, guys coming out of that Syracuse zone, it's hard to know much of what they do on defense. But Leiden is a pretty poor athlete. You know, he tested, as we've talked about before, highest body fat percentage at the Combine. But, you know, on a team like the Rockets that loves their shooters, Leiden's a guy who can come in and really provide some shooting for them off the bench. Yeah, Leiden could be another another, uh, offensive weapon for D'Antoni and uh, James Harden in that uh, Houston offense. So he makes a lot of sense there being that combo forward that has shot the ball well in college and obviously could translate well to the the NBA. So hopefully he can develop, as we've been talking about, as a guy who can make an impact on defense where you may not be asked to, but hopefully that'll be something that he can improve on. And it being a question mark on defense in the NBA, just given his poor mobility and that, you know, poor, pretty poor athleticism. But I, I think that he's a guy who offensively, at least you can count on being a stretch four prospect and, you know, backup stretch fours who can shoot. Those guys are useful in the NBA, and those guys there there is a spot for those guys, especially on a team like Houston that was really hurting at the backup four spot last year. Yeah, you'd, you'd provide a lot of offensive firepower off the bench, so he makes a lot of sense in that system. Yeah, definitely. Next up, we've got the uh, New York Knicks picking at number 44 with uh, their second selection of this draft after taking Malik Monk at number 8. And... We've got them going international with this pick uh, because they've had some success in recent years drafting international prospects. And we've got them drafting the sniper from Bamberg, Arnoldus Kolboka. Uh, Kolboka is a guy who I think is really fun to watch just because 
you know, he's one of the most confident players in this class. He's extremely passionate about the game, which, you know, helps and hurts him because when he's going, he's going. And, man, he will pull from outside uh, basically under any circumstances. And he's got a good shot. But, you know, he can let that passion get the best of him at times. But I think Koboka is a very nice player, you know, still only 19. Some people think that he'll enter the 2018 draft. We still haven't hit that international pullout deadline. So people are waiting to see what Koboka would do. But right now we've got him in this class. And I think Koboka is a guy, you know, who on the Knicks where they, they – I mean, every team needs more shooting, but especially the Knicks do. Koboka's a guy who could come in and, you know, maybe he doesn't do a whole lot else, but, man, can he shoot. Yeah, he is a sniper, dude. He really uh, hit really hit uh, shots uh, at, at will uh, playing internationally. So if the Knicks need another sharpshooter, uh, that Derrick Rose, if he's still there next year, where I don't, I don't think he will be uh, – uh, who can pass to and be a threat on the outside to fit well with Porzingis and how the triangle offense, you know, is based around. So that'll be interesting to see uh, where he can fit in terms of being such an incredible shooter and being a guy that is really fun to watch in a high-powered offense. Yeah, Koboka, he's got some other weaknesses in this game. You know, he's not a super quick athlete. He's very thin. He needs to add some strength to his frame. Uh, but yeah, in terms of just Good size at 6'9 with a 6'11 wingspan. And, you know, he is quick enough to play small forward. He doesn't have to play power forward. Uh, I do think Kolboka has got some value with his shooting stroke and then that some a little more upside on offense. You know, he, he's he, he can get – he can play some pick and pop, you know, with his nice footwork. But he's also a nice ball handler. But, yeah, I think Kolboka, nice fit in New York. And if they want, they can stash him too because they can just have him play with Bamberg for another couple seasons. Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, and he's obviously a valuable asset going forward since the Knicks need to figure out so many things and whether they stash him for a couple of years and use him as a tr- as a trade piece in a deal or, uh, you know, if he does end up going to New York. So his future will be certainly interesting. Yeah, definitely. And finally, with the last pick of this segment, we've got the Houston Rockets taking the uh, one of the most productive players in all of college basketball last year. We've got them taking... Villanova's Josh Hart. Uh, Josh Hart was a guy who put up some phenomenal numbers last year at Villanova. You know, just basically did it all for that team. You know, maybe not the best playmaker, but put up some great defensive stats. Uh, awesome shooter. Um, just put up high scoring numbers. And one of the great things about Josh Hart is he's a phenomenal rebounder. You know, one of the best rebounding guards in this draft. You know, at just six five with the six eight wingspan. And Hart's a guy. You know, maybe not the highest upside contributor, but he can come in for that Rockets team and be a, a, play, a player on the wing right away who's useful. You know, a lot of people have talked about his shot is a little bit flat, and it may struggle to get to the get to the rim from the NBA three-point line, and I would agree with that. You know, I'm not the biggest believer in Hart's jumper in the NBA, but just in terms of a guy who will go all out and bring all the intangibles and has that defensive ability and, you know, has that shooting upside with how well he shot from the three-point line in college, I think Hart would be a nice pickup for the Rockets here. Yeah, the Rockets, of course, are stacked at those guard positions since they have so many, uh, so much talent there. But Josh Hart would be a guy that can come in and, of course, show some tenacity on defense as he really did well in at Villanova, and of course that's why they, he led them to a national championship. But also being a really good guy that can uh, shoot the ball well as well as uh, move around on offense and be a good contributor. So he makes sense with a Rockets team that's looking for leadership and other guys that can take control at that guard spot. So, 
with his good size and defensive uh, strengths, he should be a good fit for a Rockets team that certainly needs defense. Yeah, exactly. Hart, um, another thing about him is, you know, he, he actually was a pretty good finisher last year. Put up 71% at the rim. He, he's very crafty around there, and he's a strong player. Not overly explosive, but it, that is something to watch for him is that finishing ability. You know, it is questionable how he does versus length because he, he was a poor finisher against length. But so is almost every player. So Hart's, Hart's a guy who, you know, doesn't really maybe have one standout skill at the NBA level, but is pretty good at a lot of things and hopefully will end up being a solid contributor to a team like the Houston Rockets coming out of the second round. Or maybe a team takes a swing on him late in the first round, but I don't know if he's worth it. Anyways, that is the end of this segment of our mock draft series. We just finished part three, doing picks 31 through 45. Quick recap, we had the Hawks taking E.K. Bogu number 31, the Suns taking Jordan Bell, number 32, the Orlando Magic taking DJ Wilson, number 33, Sacramento Kings taking Wesley Wundu, number 34, the Magic taking Frank Mason, number 45, the 76ers taking Sterling Brown, number 36, the Celtics taking Anzaj Paseknik's number 37, the Bulls taking TJ Leaf, number 38, the 76ers taking Rodion's Kurok's number 39, the Pelicans taking Dylan Brooks, number 40, the Hornets taking Cenarius Thornwell, number 41, the Jazz taking Monte Morris, number 42, the Rockets taking Tyler Lydon, number 43. The Knicks taking Arnoldus Kolboka, number 44. And the Rockets taking Josh Hart, number 45. And be sure to tune in for our next episode where we will bring you part four of the Mock Draft Series doing the rest of these picks, 46 through 60. And you got anything else, Cesar? Uh, no, man. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch y'all real soon. Don't flip podcast stations, man. We'll see you guys real soon, and we should have the rest of the list up uh, in our next episode. So we'll see you guys there. Yeah, be sure to leave a review, and uh, be sure to listen to that next episode and listen to the other ones if you haven't already. Uh, thanks thanks a lot, guys. Uh, see you later. Bye.